Hello and welcome to Sunshine Chasers. My name is Amanda and I started this podcast for you. This podcast is for outdoor adventure travelers no matter where you are on your journey. Whether you're sitting on a commute right now dreaming of getting away or plugged in on a plane headed on your next adventure, I think you'll be able to find something to connect with in each one of my guests. Through the conversations that you'll hear in this space, I want to not only inspire you with talks of faraway places and dreamy campsites, but empower you to make your dream adventure a reality. On this episode, we've got the duo that makes up two dusty travelers, Emily and Aaron. Their travel style is all about traveling responsibly while heading off the beaten path. This episode is an incredible conversation, if I do say so myself, and Emily and Aaron have so much to share. If you learned something and liked the episode, I'd love if you could spare a minute to rate and review wherever you listen to podcasts. But I'll remind you about that later. Let's get to the good stuff for now. Hello, everybody. I am here with Emily and Aaron today of Two Dusty Travelers. Hi, Emily. Hi, Aaron. Hi. Hi. How are you both doing today? We're good. We're stoked to be here. Totally awesome. I'm so, so excited for this interview. It's going to be really great. Um, So kick us off, get us started. Tell me a little bit about the both of you. What do you love? Who are you? What do you do? What's your travel style? All of that good stuff. All the stuff. Yes. Um, Well, I'm Emily. I'm half of Two Dusty Travelers, um, which together we write a travel blog about ethical and sustainable travel and traveling off the beaten path. So mostly you hear my voice on the blog because I do all the writing. Um, but I would like, there would be no blog without Aaron cause he makes everything work behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I'm, when we're not traveling, I am a registered nurse. So I do that to, to pay the travel bills. And I also volunteer a, abroad a lot on medical missions. So I'm super passionate about helping people travel and volunteer in a way that's responsible and ethical. That's very cool. And what yeah. about you, Aaron? Well, I'm obviously the other half of two distant travelers. <laughs> um, I'm the guy behind the scenes trying to make it look good. Um, So I build the website. I take the majority of the photos, edit the photos, do all the coding and all that junk in the background, whilst Emily creates most of the content. So I love love it. Um, I Yeah, like I said, I do most of our photography, and I keep the blog up and running. Well, I got to say you do a really good job at that. Sorry to cut you off, but no, it right. looks beautiful. So <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Just Thank wanted you. to say that. <laughs> it, is, um, it is a passion project, I guess. That's, so how did you guys get started? I'm sorry, I keep cutting you off. I'm just no, so excited. Totally <laughs> well, I think really what it boiled down to was people kept asking us about our travels and things like that. And I just have this giant hard drive full of thousands and thousands of photos that I don't do anything with. <laughs> so it was kind of like a small marriage argument for a while about, you know. <laughs> like, someone needs to see these photos. Yeah. Put them up somewhere. <laughs> and I've always loved to write, so it kind of made sense to, to do it. Yeah. It worked out really well. That's great. That's a really good pairing. Yeah. yeah. And though yeah. it's worked out well. Yeah. We had a little blog just for, like, family and friends when, like, when we were volunteering abroad or, like, I deployed to the Ebola outbreak and we, I wrote a blog then because people wanted to know that I was, like, alive. And then it kind of, we were like, oh, we should do the, this for real. Yeah. <laughs> and, Aaron, I think yeah. uh, I cut you off when you were going to start talking about your traveling style, maybe. Oh, I, I think I was just going to say um, I'm also an elementary school teacher, so it works out really well for us because I get summers off. That's so awesome. What grade do you teach? I teach a fourth, fifth split class. Oh, so you got all those raging hormones starting to kick in. Yeah. (laughs) That's so fun. How long have you been teaching? Um, Well, in some form or another, God, since I was 18, but officially as a classroom teacher, what, I'm 35 now, so I started at like 28, 29. Two years. He was in kindergarten for a while, and then... Yeah, I did kindergarten, then I... No, I did first grade, then I taught kindergarten, now I'm up at the older grades. Oh my gosh, that's so great. Thank you very much for educating our future. Gotta say it. (laughs) Well, hopefully I'm doing it well enough. (laughs) It's hopeful. Sometimes we have days where we're like, oh God, the world is looking really dark, and then the kids say something very sweet, and you're like, oh, maybe we're going to be okay. Aw, well, (laughs) so I teach at a university. 
yeah. And so I get them a couple of years later, just like one or two, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, and they do the same thing. They'll I'll be having just like the worst day, and they'll say this like really profound thing for a nineteen year old, and I'm yeah. like, okay, maybe we're okay. We're gonna be all right. We're gonna be all right. I know he overheard his kids. They were playing with like two different types of toys and one of them was like let's build a wall between them and the other one was like no no mr r says if walls are bad let's build a bridge oh. and i was like yes <laughs> yes go future <laughs> yeah. those were obviously kindergartners oh yeah that was, yeah, that was, yeah. That was not my fifth graders yeah <laughs> oh my gosh Oh, that's so great. So you guys have some awesome, awesome jobs. Um, What kind of nurse are you? You said you're an RN. Is there a specific um, population that you work with, Emily? Yeah, I'm a labor and delivery nurse, so I help deliver babies. It's really fun. Oh, my gosh. I love it. the hard stuff. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I mean, like, I worked medical, surgical, nursing for a while, and I felt like Every day was someone's, like, worst day because no one wants to be in the hospital having surgery. But labor and delivery is every day is someone's best day. So it's pretty cool. Oh, that's so sweet. And so what I really love about you, there's a lot of things I love about your blog and about your voice (laughs) and stuff. But one of those things is that you guys are so very clearly passionate about the work that you do on, like, we'll say our, quote, nine-to-five lives, mm-hmm. yeah. but you still have such a skill and a passion and a talent for integrating travel into your life, too. So can you talk a little bit about uh, how you make it work, I guess? Yeah. I mean, we're both lucky, for sure, to have jobs that are a little flexible. Um, n- most nurses, at least in the States, um, work three 12-hour shifts a week, at least in hospitals. Um, So that gives you a lot of time. If I want to, like, cram a bunch of shifts together, I can take a week off without actually, like, taking any actual days off of work. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's pretty cool. And then Aaron has, you know, midwinter break and spring break and summer break and all that stuff. But I think even, even without that, you know, if you decide that, like, travel is what really matters to you, there's ways to make it happen. And I was always, like, asking for extra time or, like, pitching, like, I want to take a week off unpaid to, like, do this really cool thing. And if you're a good employee, <laughs> sometimes your boss will be like, fine, that's fine. <laughs> so, They'd rather keep you than yeah. have you be miserable and stay the week. <laughs> yeah. Or, yeah. like, can I work four tens instead of five eights or, you know... We have a friend who works at, he was in construction management, and uh, every 10 years at his company, he gets a month of paid leave. So wow. That's pretty cool. So there's, a, there's that's ways. That's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The only, the only drawback to, I mean, having that flexibility as a teacher is when I get my vacation, everybody yeah. is on vacation. Yes. <laughs> so that's kind of a drawback, and that kind of makes us, you know, be a little bit more selective about where we go or more not selective but strategic yeah about where mm-hmm. we and go. a lot of a lot of people would think that travel is like i'm taking three weeks off and going to southeast asia but like everybody gets a three-day weekend every now and then and you can do something mm-hmm. so then you just have to go for it exactly can you speak a little bit more about how like what being strategic means to you i really liked that wording that you used well um i think a lot of it is you know, it kind of gets us into the, you know, where do we go where people don't necessarily go? Mm-hmm. Or how do, we, how do we find a way to be away from the crowds when we're somewhere that is very popular? I think we've really magically found a way to start talking about um, (laughs) the phrase that I love you guys use, um, traveling off the beaten path is something that shows up a bunch of times through your Instagram posts and your, your blog posts and all that good stuff. What does off the beaten path mean to you? Because to me, I hear you say like, you're trying to get creative and strategic about going places that other people aren't necessarily or doing things that other people aren't necessarily doing. So that kind of sounds a little bit like off the beaten path to me, but am I hitting the nail on the head? Totally. Yeah. (laughs) No, yeah, you're totally right. Um, For us, you know, it's like having a unique, like authentic experience that, um, you know, you don't see every day, you know? You see a lot of travel bloggers on Instagram, you know, showing stilted lodges or 
showing them on a swing on a beach that you know everyone goes to. And so for us, we don't want to have the same trip that you know thousands and thousands of people have already had. And so, you know, it's getting away from it all a little bit and discovering hidden gems and things like that that yeah. we may... It doesn't necessarily mean not going to any certain country or any certain city at all, but just to get away from where the major crowds are and have a little bit of a unique experience. And like I think like Aaron said, you can look at Instagram and see the same photo of the same place a million times. And I don't, I don't need that photo. I can, we're happy to go somewhere down the road or the next town over and have a similar, but different experience, which is better because maybe there aren't a thousand people there. Sure. Um, and I think one thing that I, if my parents do happen to listen to this podcast, they're (laughs) probably like freaking out right now at this conversation. I think I want to talk a little bit about what off the beaten path is yeah. not necessarily yeah. because I do feel like sometimes it gets that bad connotation. So what isn't off the beaten path? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Like we're not, you know, going off the grid and like, like we, we travel in Africa a lot, but we're not like living in the bush or like going to countries where there are active war zones or anything, you know, for us, it's just, um, just getting away from the major tourist centers. Like, I think a great example um, is Maya Beach in Thailand that got famous from the, the movie The Beach. And so many uh, tourists went there that now it's like a cesspool and they've closed it. Like you can't go there anymore. <laughs> um, so, and it's the same thing like in Europe, a lot of popular European cities, they've been completely overtaken by tourists. And in the busy season, people who live there can't like get to work on public transport because there are so many tourists in their city. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think a perfect example is like we went. We ended up in Cancun on spring break because oh, there God. was a there was a deal, and I was home. I was off work, and so was Aaron. And um, and we were like on this all inclusive resort for like a day, and we were like, "This is killing us." Mm-hmm. Um, and we just rented a car and and drove around and found some really awesome like natural pools, some cenotes to to frolic in. And it, it, you know, I think people are afraid of the idea of driving in Mexico, but it was like totally fine you know I mean even just driving a car around and exploring a little or setting off on foot around the neighborhood that you're staying in um can be really awesome yeah of course I feel like there's this uh I don't know like this bad omen of like Ooh, don't go off the resort. Yes. You never know. Yes. Like, like yes. the world just falls apart as soon as you leave the resort. And I, oh, I'm so grateful to you guys to try to spread that message that that's not necessarily true. And I love that example about Cancun, particularly yeah. for that reason. I think one of the big things, I mean, a couple of things is firstly, people are really the same everywhere and they're just trying to live their lives. Mm-hmm. And just because, you know, you're, for example, in Cancun, you drive away from all the resorts, they're just, you know, decent people trying to live their lives. And, you know, a lot of them are really nice. You end up actually like, I feel personally like you end up having more fun because the whole point of traveling is to see a new place. And if you spend the entire time in a resort by the pool, sipping your Mai Tais, you might as well have just stayed home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can. There, there are pools where, <laughs> where I'm from. I'm sure I can manage to make a mai tai or two myself. Yeah, right? <laughs> no, granted, I don't want to bash on sitting by the pool yeah, and having yeah. a beer because I love that too. Just you know, yeah, it's all about the balance of it. I think, and exactly. You know, a, a couple of times on the show, people have talked about like. Uh, they get different things from different types of traveling. And I yeah. think that the Mai Tais by the pool or the beers by the pool have a place. But I yeah. also, like when you're traveling that place, like to that country, I think you're missing out on a ton by, uh, how am I going to say this? You're, you're not like experiencing the country necessarily yeah. all the time. You know? Yeah, yeah. Sure. By, by limiting your location. Yeah. And for us to, it's like tourism has 
our tourist dollars have so much power and to concentrate those all at like one giant hotel chain where like probably all that money is just going back to America kind of mm-hmm. sucks. Yeah. Um, so yeah, even if, yeah, just to get off of that resort and eat at a local restaurant or take a local tour or something like that is, yeah, it's such a unique experience that you'll remember more than eating at the hotel restaurant for sure. <laughs> yeah, 100%. <laughs> Yeah. So speaking of these experiences, what are some of your favorite experiences that you guys have had that really embody this off the beaten path kind of mentality? Oh, man. I think the first one that comes to (laughs) my mind. question, right? Yeah, yeah, right. It's not a loaded question at all. I think the first one that comes to my mind is we went to Aruba. Mm. Now, you normally think of Aruba as the big cruise ship destination. You do your big cruise. You know, you visit Aruba, you get off your cruise ship, you go to the beach, you go to the, like the big hotels and the little shopping mall in Orangestad, and then you're good. But I think, Check. you know, <laughs> yeah, there's, so much, there's so much more to Aruba. We went to Aruba, we stayed in an Airbnb owned by a local woman, we rented a Jeep, and we explored. And it was one of my favorite vacations ever, Ooh. because... We got to these deserted, beautiful beaches. There's a whole giant national park that you most people don't go to, which is stunning. There are caves. Yeah, like 20, 25% of the island is a designated national park. And, like, there was no one there when we were there. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, you know, talking about what we just spoke about before, too, is there's some restaurants there eaten primarily by locals. And the food was just okay. mind-blowingly delicious. Mm. What to kind the of point food? Where we, um, so, fish. fish yeah. Lots of seafood. Mm. Yum. There's a place called Zerovers in um, Aruba, and they have, it's just, you just eat the catch of the day. You know, you don't know, really know what it is. You say, I'll order the fish. I'm going to have three pieces of it. I'll have fries and whatever. And they'll just cook it up and bring it to you. And it's, we ate there maybe, what, twice or three yeah, times? Every, yeah, we were like, let's and go back to Zerovers. <laughs> it was just like stunning. It was amazingly right good food. Right on the water, yeah. You right. literally sit on the water. That's so beautiful yeah. and delicious sounding. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I think, I mean, we've done a lot of travel in East Africa, and mm-hmm. that scares the hell out of a lot of people. For some reason, I think America has such a warped view of Africa. Um, but, you know, we've stayed with a host family in Kenya um, and in Tanzania, and everywhere we've been in East Africa, we've just, like, loved to pieces um, and the, I know that a lot of people go and probably only take a safari and like only stay with that one company and don't get outside of that, which is a shame because I mean, the most wonderful people we've ever met are in Kenya and Tanzania. Yeah, I feel like there are a lot of, and again, I can really only speak for United States citizens because that's where I live, but I feel sure. like it does get that kind of a bad reputation and they're like, oh, why would you want to go there? Like, is it safe, you know? So oh, yeah. I think it's so great that you guys are speaking out about that. And um, Emily, you said that you got deployed for the Ebola episode. Yes, I did. Well, can you speak a little bit more about that? I mean, that's kind of going back a little bit to your profession, but yeah. what, what was that like? Well, I mean, I always laugh, like you were saying, when people when people learn that we've been to Africa, the number one question is, like, weren't you afraid? Isn't it unsafe? Yeah. Which normally I'm like, don't be ridiculous, but the Ebola outbreak is probably an exception <laughs> to that rule. Uh, that, was gonna, that was scary. Um, I mean, I was afraid. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. were home. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Honestly, it was a really fascinating experience, and I, you know, I was home, kind of listening to the outbreak unfold on the news, and he, and just heard on NPR one day they were like, that we are, we just have no nurses and docs because all their nurses and docs were were falling ill, yeah. um, or anyone who had any knowledge of like infection prevention protocols, which is basic in the states but isn't very common um, in some developing countries. So anyway, so I yeah signed up to go, and and then when they, you know, called me and said, "Do you want to deploy?" I was like, "Oh my god, I'm actually I'm going to have to actually do this." <laughs> <laughs> um, but but no, it was a really really fascinating experience. I got to you know you get to see stuff that you n- will never get to see in the states, um, and I think that volunteering abroad is such a gray area. So many times, um, as far as am I really doing good or 
am I over here making myself feel good more than anything? Mm-hmm. And that deployment was like, this is necessary. I am needed here. That was, which was great <laughs> to not have to be struggling with that ethical quandary at that particular time. Yeah, I feel like, so I, um, I teach in uh, public health. Yeah. Um, and I feel like there are a lot of people who are trying to get to like, you know, PT school, med school, nursing yeah. school, et cetera. And a lot of the students just go on uh, mm-hmm. medical mission trips that run like every six months or something like that. And it's always like, oh, yep. it's a, oh maybe it okay? you should yeah. think about that a little more and like experience it or uh, research it a little more instead of just going with the first flyer you see. Cause that, yeah, that's, that's tricky. Yeah, it is. It is. And I think people assume that, and I am in guilty of this in the past, people assume that if your heart is in the right place and you have good intentions, that there's just no way you can do any damage, which mm-hmm. is just untrue. Um, and we have plenty of nursing students or pre-med students or people who really have never had any hands-on patient care experience and they're all over the developing world caring for patients, delivering babies, etc. Um, and just doing things that you wouldn't do to people in the United States. So why does it make it okay to do them to people in developing countries? Yeah. Um, so yeah, <laughs> there's some, there's definitely um, a lot of improvement to be done in that area. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, and then how, so I'm flying all over the place. I had yes. too much caffeine <laughs> <It's okay>. today, <laughs> but if you are trying to create um an off the beaten path experience for you or, well, this is going to get into a different question, but a responsible, um, trip for you. How do you start the research? Like, let's say there's a destination you want to go to. Mm -hmm. How do you start? Like, what do you do? For us, we, it can honestly be as easy as Googling the place off the beaten path. Just Google Aruba off the beaten path or Kenya Mm -hmm. off the beaten path. And like, see what you get or go, you know, two or three pages into Google rather than stopping on the first page. Mm-hmm. Um, and you'll get some really awesome stuff. It's, <laughs> it's not that difficult actually. Yeah. And then, you know, <clears throat> once you get there, you know, I think one of the important things is talk to the locals. You know, if you're taking a taxi from the airport, ask them, you know, what are some cool things to do? What do you recommend? Are there good restaurants? Mm-hmm. You know, you're, Waiter would be another good one or, you know, wherever you're staying, your host, your front desk staff, mm-hmm. whatever. Just ask them, you know, we don't want to do what everyone else is doing. What are some really cool experiences that yeah, you enjoy? Yeah, where do enjoy? you hang out? Where yeah. do you hang out? And then other than that, just rent a car. Yeah. You're not going to die. I've driven <laughs> through Nairobi. I've driven in Mexico. Like, yeah, you're fine. You're not going to die. Just don't take risks. And yeah, we it's actually totally worth it get this a lot so we like put together recently a whole ethical travel page on our blog so it's like like we check some of the same companies for tourism um every time just to see if they're running a tour wherever we happen to be going like g adventures is great urban adventures is great we're going to nairobi in november and they have a bunch of tours like run by locals around around the city which we're going to take um there's like tons of organizations and companies that do social impact travel now that focus on tours that support local business and give you a real sense of the country. So I think that's actually getting a lot more popular. So we got a lot of those linked on the blog, actually. So Yeah. Yeah, that is uh, those. Um, I think you released like two guides at the same time. Yeah, maybe? for yeah. sure. They will be linked in the show notes. Those are so <laughs> thorough and they are awesome. But it actually did. So when you brought up the point in the post of trying to decide where to stay Mm -hmm. and, you know, maybe going away from the more popular hotel chains and stuff like that, um, you guys have found a lot of really great Airbnbs, it seems. So Mm -hmm. do you have any tips specifically for Airbnb? Like, how do you find a good place on that? Is there something that you look for in particular or anything like that? I think for the most part, we just spend an inordinately large amount of time on Airbnb browsing <laughs> our places. Not and then, a bad use of time. <laughs> well, we like planning is fun for us. I know some yeah. people don't like to, but we're like, oh, let's look at all of the Airbnbs in Aruba. <laughs> exactly. It's a lot of fun. And then just, you know, read the reviews. 
A lot of times you're going to get a lot more information about the Airbnb reading the reviews or look at the trip advice. Sometimes there's a trip advisor listing for the specific place. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. you read that and you, you know, kind of go from there. I think we've just been really fortunate because we spent so much time looking into Airbnbs that we found some really, really awesome ones. And we'll never, we'll look, be looking at some that the photos are really awesome and the description is great. And if there's like one or two reviews, we're like, or none, we're like, no, we will never stay at an Airbnb that hasn't yeah. been thoroughly reviewed because you just never know what you're going to get. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are our best, best tips. Yeah. And I think it's also really interesting um, when you come or when you mentioned reading the reviews and stuff like that, that really nicely transitions into uh, ethical travel and how much sustainable travel is a big part of your um, mission or I don't really know the word to call it, but um, <laughs> you know, you, you travel sustainably or you try. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I think that Airbnbs are a great way to do that. Um, but let's talk a little bit about ethical travel. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of a huge umbrella, but what does it mean to the both of you? Yeah, well, we, we, I, I struggle with three different n- names for it. You know, you have responsible travel, travel, ethical travel, and sustainable travel. Mm-hmm. And they're all so closely linked. But for me, I mean, <clears throat> I'm a big outdoors boy. Coming from a giant backpacking background, it's always, you know, uh, it's a principle of, like, leave no trace. Leave the place better than you found it, Mm -hmm. you know, which means having a minimal impact on the environment, trying to travel, you know, without petrochemical plastics, and really importantly, only participate in ethical animal tourism. So don't pet, you know... No, no, no tiger selfies. No tiger <laughs> selfies. Don't ride an elephant. Don't swim with dolphins unless you're in the ocean and they're in the ocean free. Yeah. Um, keeping your carbon footprint as low as you can is really important. Mm-hmm. But also, you know, a really, really important thing too is, like we've said a few times, is travel in a way that supports the local communities instead of destroying them. Mm-hmm. Um, as tourists, we are a privileged group of people. Mm-hmm. And most people in the world don't get to travel. And being really intentional about where you put your money is a huge, huge, or has a huge impact. Yeah. So, you know, maybe when you, next time you go down to, I don't know, Mazatlan, don't stay in the Best Western. Look for a place that, you know, is locally owned and invest your money back into the community where you're staying. Which is a ton of stuff. Like, there's, yeah. it's a, like you said, it's such a huge uh, topic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and no one, like us included, no one goes on a trip and is perfect, like, uses no plastic and stays at a locally owned resort and only goes on local tours and, you know, has a zero carbon footprint. Like, it's just not possible. <laughs> um, yeah. And I think there is a lot of judgment especially in the like uh, sustainable living community i think about being perfect which it's just not it's not gonna happen so we're just trying to encourage people to to do something try a little bit at least um and then yeah. probably make your trip better anyway so and you'll probably get you hooked on it <laughs> you don't have to have it all you don't have to do it all but just be really intentional about what you are doing i mean i think on our ethical travel like or info page we have a bunch of hints yeah we are not like by any means experts on everything so that page you were talking about has like all the resources that we read all the blogs we read the articles we've loved that have taught us what we know because we don't we aren't experts on everything for sure Mm -hmm. and i mean that's a huge part of it right like I, nobody is born and starts traveling just like super sustainably and no. super ethically. Like you, there does have to be some wiggle room for, for learning. It's a constant yeah. process. And I yeah. think the way that you guys highlight that is really encouraging. Um, I, I was reading one of your blog posts and I think it, uh, I think it was the one about the Bahamas charter that you guys did. Yeah, and you magical. Like, you like linked to a carbon footprint calculator, and I think my brain exploded. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, "Well, I am never traveling again because my carbon footprint is ginormous." But but it doesn't have to be that way. You can take those small steps that you were talking about, and you can just you know educate yourself and and at least try to make that carbon footprint smaller. <laughs> yeah, 
And in all honesty, we're in the same boat every time we look at that carbon footprint like, calculator. <laughs> I'm like, oh. Although we are child-free by choice, and we like saw a carbon footprint calculator once that did include like having one less child, and it puts you like off the charts for carbon savings. Wow. So we were like, oh, okay, we're okay. We're gonna be okay. <laughs> <laughs> we, can, we can still fly. Oh my gosh. Well, and actually, I would love for you to talk about that uh, Bahamas Charter post. I think I have it saved. I have like a, uh, my bookmarks bar has a folder called like adventures I want to go on. Totally. Don't we all? I totally bookmarked your exact post because it was so awesome. And I think what you were talking about, and forgive me if I'm putting words into your mouth, um, the carbon footprint conversation came with talking about cruise ships mm-hmm. as opposed to a private charter. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. I, I, um, so it's not just cruise ships in a private charter. For us, it was one step farther. We're on a sailboat, so mm-hmm. it's powered by the wind. So yeah. there's no, there's no, well, very, very little gas being consumed. I mean, they run a generator and sometimes when there's no wind, we have to motor, but it's, there's so many different things involved in how like, in the private charter versus the cruise ship, you have the amount of food, the amount of impact you're having on the environment, the amount of direct impact you're having on local communities, the you know amount of fuel you're consuming. Yeah. And it's just in every single aspect, taking a little small boat is so much better for your carbon footprint than taking a gigantic, huge cruise ship. I mean, and we got to go to places that were not just crammed with tourists um, and the year before we had been on a dive trip in, on the Great Barrier Reef and they're, you know, talking about how the reef is disappearing and being destroyed in large part due to climate change, but also because there are so like tourists walking all over it. Um, and you know, big groups of tourists coming every single day to the same places have an impact on this really, like these really, um, tiny environments, um, so going on a sailboat and going out to go out to a different reef that no one else is is swimming all over is much better for the environment as well. Yeah, for sure. I was um I was just in Belize a couple of oh, months yeah. ago and the um I only snorkel. I don't I don't deep dive. Oh, do. Yeah. <laughs> um but all of the snorkeling tours they were amazing to start with, but they were all going to exactly the same spot. Mm-hmm. And I can imagine, like, with all of those people, inevitably somebody's going to touch the coral and, yeah. you know, <laughs> and they're, like, chumming the waters to get some sharks to show yeah. up and stuff like that. And it just, it gets really messy really quickly. And it's, there's, like, a lot more to think of than just, I want to go snorkeling. What's the most fun tour? What's the highest rated tour? You yes. Know? Mm-hmm. And that was how we found the Bahamas Charter. We literally Googled Bahamas sailing trip, and they were, like, on the second or third page of Google. Like, we did, it wasn't even that hard. I just think everybody stops at page one because they, they think mm-hmm. the, the most popular one is the best one, which hasn't been our experience at all. <laughs> Not at all. Yeah, you hit, like, TripAdvisor, Yelp, yeah. Facebook, Google, like, Google Maps or whatever, and you're like, well, okay, I guess I got all the reviews. I guess yep, I that's got the it. best ones. Yeah. <laughs> that's all there is. Yeah, and I think you got to go further for the travel blogs, right? Yeah. <laughs> if right. you want to find us, you got to go further. Yeah. <laughs> exactly right. Oh, gosh. So, as I said before, I'll definitely link to those pages. But do you have some things, some of your, like, favorite simple steps to living more sustainably at home or on the road? Yes. Um, we've been trying as hard as we can to go plastic free. So we've got reusable water bottles, bamboo utensils, stainless, stainless steel straws. I've got a bamboo toothbrush, the whole nine yards, um, which is really easy once you get used to it. It's just getting used to telling people when you get food or a drink that like, I don't want the straw. I don't want the utensils. I'm all set. Mm -hmm. We just came back from El Salvador and like the beaches were just covered in plastic utensils, straws and forks and knives. And we were like, no, (laughs) it was, it was terrible. Yeah. It was was such a beautiful place. Um, it's just so unnecessary. Um, and then, I mean, when you're traveling, I think us included a lot of people, when you're on vacation, you kind of want, um, 
to just relax and be taken care of and be pampered. So every day someone changes your sheets and cleans your whole room and that's actually not super necessary. You can just put your do not disturb sign on the door. You don't need your linens washed every single day. And that saves a lot of water and energy and turning your lights off and your AC off when you leave for the day. Just little stuff. And I think also what's been big for me is people are get really excited about like taking all those little toiletries in their hotels and like, yay, it's free stuff. But like, it's super unnecessary. <laughs> and they're just like tons of little plastic bottles that are going to get thrown in the trash, right? So like, just bring your own. It's not that hard. No, I like those... Um... I don't know if you use them, the, like, little reusable ones that you can yeah. buy at, like, Target and just fill with whatever. Those are so yeah. convenient. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. Yeah. And then I think one more thing, too. I mean, for international travel, it's really difficult. Yeah. But, you know, try to drive. Yeah. I mean, driving uses way less fuel than flying. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, we know you're going to fly. I mean, we Everybody's fly all the time. Fly. We fly, yeah. And right. so... I think even though it may cost you a little bit more money, a direct flight is always a better choice because most of the fuel, well, not most of the fuel, but there's a huge amount of fuel used in taking off and landing Mm -hmm. that, you know, generally doesn't get used if you're just in the air the whole time. So I think that's a big deal. And then, you know, just don't pack as much. You know, it's one of those things just like, you know, you drive a heavy car, use more gas. You pack way, like way more than you actually need, then it's going to use up more fuel in their flight too, and which leads to more pollution. Little stuff. It all adds up. Yeah. Yeah. These are all little things that are like, when you break them down like this, very like bite-sized, achievable. Yeah. You know, little bit by little bit. That's awesome. Yeah. That is so great. And we always, <laughs> just because we can't afford it, we always fly coach. But I read somewhere that, like, that's better for your carbon footprint because there's more people crammed onto the plane. So one flight, <laughs> you know, I'm like, oh, that makes me feel better about being back here miserable in steerage. Banging <laughs> my knees off of the seat yeah. in front of me is actually good for my carbon footprint. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a great thing to keep in mind. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and Erin, you mentioned before that you are a big outdoors guy and you brought up the leave no trace principles. Mm-hmm. Um, so have you been up on the debate about the latest leave no trace principle for social media? Um, it's, it's a hard one, you know, mm-hmm. um, this is really hard for me because being a lover of the outdoors, I like to share that with other people and it's you know you see the people in like the national parks who carve their name into a rock or something Mm. like that yeah and then post it on social media well that's just flat out stupid first of all (laughs) but it's one of those things it's like an over tourism kind of thing where do you want to put your location where you were so that everyone goes to it or do you want to conserve it so it stays a little bit more pristine it's kind of like one step beyond leave no trace in a way. Mm-hmm. You know, the way I would tell leave no trace is on a daily day, your interaction, your personal interaction with nature. You know, you don't, you always camp at established campsites. You don't cut down trees to burn fire. You make sure you pick up all the trash that you see, so on and so forth. But I think now, you know, we want to protect the outdoors and we don't really want to put, you know, some of the lesser known places on blast. Mm-hmm. at risk of encouraging lots of people to go there and screw it up. Yeah, yeah it's, it's like a digital leave no trace now. Yeah, it's a digital leave no trace now. Like some of the places that I, you know, that we post will say the general area, but we're not going to say a specific GPS coordinates of where we yeah. are. Yeah, but then on the other hand, it, you know, it's super important to us, and we've been learning a lot lately about um, like the adventure gap and how you'll see far fewer people of color and minorities um, in the outdoors and hiking mm-hmm. and enjoying national parks, which I didn't know until someone brought it to my attention. So it's, I, you know, the last thing I want to do is post a beautiful picture of this beautiful place we're in in a national park and then be super vague about where it is because it doesn't help mm-hmm. make the outdoors accessible to anyone. Um, so we, you know, we are back and forth about it, but we do tend to, like, post fairly specifically where we are um, cause if somewhere, if we find somewhere that's super pristine and fragile and we really don't want anyone to go there, then we just don't post that picture at all. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I mean, ideally, we're a travel blog. The idea is to help people travel. So <laughs> to post a picture and not tell anyone where it is is a little <laughs> rude. It's, <laughs> it's a real double-edged sword. We have a really popular hike up here in Seattle. It's called the Enchantments. It's the Enchantment Lakes. It's this beautiful, pristine, like, reservation only. You have to go through a lottery to get the ticket to get up there. It's amazing, but it's become so popular that they had to put the lottery up there. So that only select people can go through there because it was starting to get thrashed. Yeah, and I know like some of the national parks have been like raising their entrance fees and stuff like yeah. that. To and it, you're so right. On the one hand, I'm like, yeah, that makes total sense. We have to protect our earth. But then I'm like, but the lower socioeconomic people yeah. can't afford the greater yeah. entrance fee and like probably can't sit around to get like on the lottery at the perfect time like yeah. to sign yeah. up so exactly it's so interesting all of these new like just questions that have been coming up because social media is such a big part of our lives now yeah it's it's also the the greater good argument you know mm-hmm. i want people to enjoy the outdoors because i want the outdoors to be conserved but i want people to enjoy the outdoors in a responsible sustainable manner mm-hmm. and so it's how do you get that exposure how do you get you know people out there where they sh- should be so they can appreciate it so they can be like, hey, this is a place that should be conserved, while at the same time getting it so people don't destroy the place that you want to be conserved? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's the uh, educator in you, too. <laughs> oh, uh, it's a, yeah. I love it. Always, always. <laughs> and another thing that I was super inspired by you, among another uh, another couple of Instagrammers, um, speaking of tagging locations, is talking about posting indigenous lands rather than just going with, um, you know, the U.S. National Park name or something like that. Can you speak to how you discovered that and, and what it means to you? Yeah, um... I follow a, a blog and Instagram account called How Not to Travel Like a Basic Bitch. Oh, It's run by a woman named Kiona, um, who is amazing. I just am constantly learning so much from her. Mm-hmm. Um, but she, so she uh, just finished up a series of posts um, written all by Native Americans um, about traveling on indigenous lands and what it's like to travel as a Native American. Um, and I think it was one, the first one, if not one of the first ones, um, was by a woman named Callie, and her Instagram handle is Callie Wolf. Uh, and she wrote about how to respectfully travel in national parks um, and be aware of the indigenous history and Native American history of these places, many of which, if not all of which, were created by removing people from this land forcefully, and now they're quote-unquote, our public lands for everyone, but someone lived there first. Um, so um, we have started, because of that, just tagging at the end of our post um, the, the tribe or the Native American nation that originally inhabited that area. And there's an app for it um, called Native Lands, and you can just like type in where you are, and it'll show you what tribe used to, <laughs> was originally there before they were moved, which is fascinating and I'm so embarrassed to say I know knew so little about the history of so many of these places before being educated by these awesome women. It's so easy to ignore, honestly. Yeah. Like, yeah. It, you know, you go to some of the national parks, and I don't, I don't mean to knock on them at all, but it's it, you have to kind of seek out that history, <laughs> for sure. It's not just presented on a silver platter, and I think it's because you know there's some discomfort there about how people in our past have handled this situation, but that doesn't mean we just get to ignore it and like write off these people. I think I read the same uh, series and I think somebody mentioned something about how a lot of indigenous people still get asked like, Oh, like your tribe still exists or something like that. Because our history books are just saying like, and then they were gone and the land was ours. Yeah. (laughs) It's crazy. Yes. That's kind of the thing that troubles me a little bit. Even going to all these national parks is national parks are an amazing thing and Mm -hmm. I'm so glad they exist. But when they were founded, all the indigenous nations that lived on those parks yeah. were just mm-hmm. kicked out. Like, this is going to be a park now. Get the hell out of here. Yeah. Which and doesn't mean we tear down our national parks and end the whole system, but 
to be aware of that history at a bare minimum. Yeah, and acknowledge yeah, it. Yeah, it's really important. important. Yeah, that app, I, I found it through you guys, and the app is really eye-opening. It's, yeah. it's a really cool one to look at. Yeah. Yeah. And even we went to, um, oh, my God, why can't I think of the, of the name? Um to the Navajo Nation. Why am I blanking on the Monument Valley? We went to Monument Valley, gosh. <laughs> we went to Monument Valley on our, our, on our um, recent road trip and took a native-led tour, um, which was amazing. And oh I was God, like, so they good. should, I mean, like, it's different, I suppose, because uh, Monument Valley is in the Navajo Nation. But mm-hmm. I'm like, they should have native-led tours everywhere. I got to learn, we got to learn all about their history and their culture, which I knew nothing about. I was like... Why isn't this in every national park? Yeah. Navajo Spirit Tours. They're amazing. Yeah, they're amazing. That is so cool. I, I, you said it perfectly. I think it was you, Emily. I just am like so embarrassed that I yeah. don't know so much. And I feel like let down by the people who came before me for not educating. But yeah. Uh, we can we can work to educate ourselves, hopefully. So I know Aaron's all stoked to involve this in his teaching this year. Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, Things are gonna happen. Awesome. Are you still at the point where you kind of cover like a bunch of topics, a bunch of the subjects with your kiddos? Oh yeah, I teach them everything. Oh, nice, perfect. <laughs> this is yes. this is a perfect. I bestow all for the you. knowledge. Yes, I, I I condition young minds. <laughs> little bit of math, a little bit of Lex ignore this uh, history textbook. Let's talk about some other perspectives. <laughs> exactly. I love it. All right. So I could honestly keep asking you questions for much too long, um, <laughs> but let's start wrapping up. What is next for you guys? What kind of trips are you thinking about? What kind of projects are you working on? Well, poor Aaron has to go back to school in a couple of weeks. No, not, not, not poor Aaron. I'm actually pretty excited for it. Yeah, he's going to shape young minds. Um, <laughs> I stumbled on this overland trip through southern Africa um, organized by a nonprofit called Blue Sky Society. And the trip is called Rise of the Matriarch, which is why I clicked on it. I was Ooh. like, what is this? Um, and it's an all-women all overland journey through southern Africa. Um, and it's six weeks long. I'm just going for the last two weeks for the last leg. And we're visiting uh, wildlife conservation organizations and trying to highlight their work and raise some money for them, hopefully. So... Super excited about that. That's not till October. And then our one of our host uh, brothers, our original host brothers from Kenya, like a decade ago, is um, getting married. So Aaron's going to meet me out there at the end of the trip, and we're going to meet in Nairobi and go to the wedding. I'm going I'm to fly to Nairobi for a week. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> he was like, I can't miss this. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I can't miss it, so. That's going to be so incredible. That is so, so cool. Aaron, do you have any outdoor adventures that are on your list? Your short list, I guess. (laughs) Oh, God. I mean, there's always so much. Um, We just got back from a big, like, overland off-road car camping trip through Utah and stuff like that. And then we just recently did the Oregon coast last week. So I think now it's just going to be, you know, until school starts, probably just weekend trips up into the mountains Mm -hmm. where I can, if I can find a place that's not smoked out right now. Yeah. That would be ideal. It's all wildfires everywhere. (laughs) Everything's on fire. Uh, don't build fires if you can't build fires, people. <laughs> Oi, let's let's try to try to uh, mitigate this. Uh, yeah, yeah, right. Oh, all right. So, fun new question for this season of Sunshine Chasers. Do you guys have any suggestions as to somebody who would be awesome to have as a guest on the podcast? Yeah, I think we came up with a couple of ideas as we were talking about all the awesome women we've been following on Instagram that have been teaching us about indigenous history and travel. Um, Callie from Callie Wolf is amazing. Um, Karen, who runs Nature Chola, is her handle, um, is awesome, mm-hmm. and she does work getting um, youth into the outdoors and uh, people of color into the outdoors, which is awesome. Um, and then I also follow Katie from Around the World in Katie Days, which mm-hmm. I just think the name of her blog is amazing. That's <laughs> it's delightful. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's so clever. Um, I love all of them. All right. Awesome. Well, watch out. I will be reaching out to all of them, hopefully. Cool. <laughs> At least checking them out on social media and their yeah. website. So thank you. Um, before we wrap up, any last tips or anything that you want to speak your words of wisdom to our listeners today? 
<laughs> Aaron looks terrified. No, um, I'm just, I, I'm deep in thought. I think, you know, being a responsible traveler doesn't mean you have to do everything all at yeah. once. Mm-hmm. I think the most important thing is pick something that's important to you and act responsibly in that. One of the easiest ways to do it is, you know, don't carry a, or don't use plastic straws. Mm-hmm. Don't mm-hmm. use plastic cutlery. When you get to-go meals, you know, bring your own cutlery. We have these stainless steel straws that we use, which yeah, we love. It's amazing. It's easy. And things like that where it's really not that hard. Mm-hmm. And it has a, you know, immediate positive yeah. effect. Pick your passion. If you're, like, passionate about sustainability, do that. If you're passionate about animals, make sure you're involved in really ethical-only animal tourism. If you're passionate about volunteering and giving back, do that in a really ethical way. Pick, your, pick what really matters to you and just start there. Mm-hmm. Don't get overwhelmed and do nothing. <laughs> That's uh, beautiful. Just um, look around and gather resources. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, just keep reading. You guys have done so much work for us, too. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you again. Happy to help. Uh, speaking of which, how can we find you online? What are your social media handles? Where do you hang out most often online? All that good stuff. Now's the time to share it. Yeah, our blog is twodustytravelers.com. T-W-O. And I would say we hang out on Instagram mostly, but we're also on Facebook. All of our handles are the same. It's all Two Dusty Travelers. Perfect. All right. Well, I have nothing else to ask you for right now, so I think we are all done. Thank you so much for the both of you for taking an hour out of your day to talk with me and chat about all this good stuff. Yeah, no worries. It was really fun. Thanks a lot. All right. I will talk to you later. All right. Talk soon. Bye. Another great episode in the books. I learned a ton from Emily and Aaron, and I cannot stress checking their resources enough. All of the links we talked about can be found on the Sunshine Chasers podcast page, and it's linked in the podcast description for easy navigating. Also, if you liked the conversation about ethical travel, be sure to give episode 12 a listen, too. If you want to hear more, have questions, or have topic ideas you'd love for the show, please reach out on social media. Both handles are at Sunshine Chasing. I love hearing from listeners. Again, I would so appreciate a rating or review wherever you listen to podcasts. That's how other people can find this podcast and really expand these conversations. It won't take long at all, and I'd really appreciate it. I also want to thank you for listening. That's all for today. Click subscribe to make sure you don't miss the next interview.